Ladies and gentlemen, Corner Kick fam, welcome back to Quarantine Kick, uh, or Corner Kick, depending on the title of your choice. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in what feels like forever, we actually have soccer to talk about. How foreign of a concept is that to you boys? I got Nathan Strauss and Caleb Rhodes here with me. Uh, The Bundesliga is back in action. And we're here to break it all down for you. So, uh, Nathan Strauss, what have your impressions been about the uh, the return of top flight German soccer? First of all, it was so nice just to be able to wake up in the morning on a weekend and turn on Fox Sports 2 and watch real soccer with real commentary. Not to say that uh, my somewhat m- muddy streams of the Belarusian League uh, weren't doing it for me, but it's nice to see top quality soccer packaged for um, an audience. And it was nice to see some of the world's biggest stars uh, back in action. I've been pretty impressed with the quality of soccer on display so far, uh, having watched now two full match weeks of Bundesliga play. And we've got a big midweek game coming up as well in Der Klassiker on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, and I'm just going to put a quick note on the Belarusian League. Now that, you know, I hesitate to say to say real, but real soccer leagues are returning again. Um, we're going to be retiring our Belarusian League segment. Um, but just you know, to give you a heads up of where they are right now, Bate have started to put together a commanding lead at the top, and so perhaps whatever interest you had in that league is slowly starting to fade away. Um, Bate also won the Belarusian Cup final today. How do they already have a cup final? I do not know, but Bate has won it 1-0. Is it like one round? Uh, in the 120th minute, Jesus. Zakhar Volkov of oh. Bate Borisov put the ball into the back of the net. Dude, and, uh, Volkov has been on fire this year. I've been following him for a while. Um, well, Volkov yeah. popped off in the 120th <laughs> minute of uh, like Vesuvius in added time and uh, put Dynamo Brest to the sword and gave Bate uh, their first silverware of the season. But uh, Caleb Rhodes, your impressions of uh, the Bundesliga returning to our screens? Um, you know, I've I've been like obviously very happy to have soccer back, um, but I do think some of the games have been like a little sloppy, and I think we're seeing a lot of lopsided score lines. Um, for example, I watched uh, Bayern Frankfurt yesterday, which ended up being five two, and that was just like. There were a lot of goals, but largely because of just terrible defensive play from both sides. Like Bayern gave up two goals from corners, which are really Eintracht Frankfurt's only chances of the game, to Martin Hinteregger, who now somehow has like eight or nine Bundesliga goals as a center back. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the other end, um, Hinteregger then scored an own goal. Um, Fernandez just passed across the six-yard line, which allowed a Davies to tap in. Like, it was a pretty calamitous display defensively from both sides. Um, and so I think, you know, a lot of this offensive sharpness, at least in terms of scoreline, is actually coming from some bad defensive play that we're seeing. Yeah, the two games that were on today, uh, featuring Augsburg and Schalke and RB Leipzig and Mainz, both ended in absolute blowouts. Um, I believe the Augsburg-Schalke game ended 3-0. And uh, RB Leipzig trounced Mainz 5-0. Uh, 
uh, away from home. And I think it, it just kind of goes to show, Nathan, that the fans do have an important part to play in these games uh, in the regular season when soccer comes back. Um, and that teams like Mainz and Schalke, they do kind of feed off of the momentum from their kind of cauldron of a fan base. And without that, I think we're starting to see that there might be some difficulties and massive holes in uh, in quality in both these sides and kind of the disparity from the top to the bottom. Yeah, and I think that as much as relegation-bound or lower-performing uh, teams feed off of the energy from their home crowd, some of the results have been pretty consistent. Like in the home fixture this year, Leipzig beat Mainz 8-0 in their largest ever win. And Leipzig then proceeded to beat Mainz today at the Opel Arena 5-0. And like the uh, the Frankfurt game, Bayern Frankfurt, the reverse fixture, finished 5-0 for Frankfurt in the game that led to, uh, or 5-1 to Frankfurt in the game that led to Nico Kovac uh, leaving the position. And then the two previous games between the two of them finished 3-0 and 5-0 for Bayern. So I think part of it is that the top of the Bundesliga uh, has some incredibly talented offensive teams. We think about Leipzig, Dortmund, and Bayern as teams that can really hammer the ball home. And uh, that's been exacerbated, certainly, by the lack of match fitness. I think it's been interesting. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit. The first time seeing how teams are allowed to use five substitutes now. I personally like it. Um, and I don't think it's been too distracting from the match process. But what, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I don't know. I think there's something about the three substitutes that make it feel like a lot more of a competitive and strategic uh, game and I think something that Caleb was hinting about and I'll kind of take this to a further level is that some of these games have kind of felt like summer friendlies in a lot of ways kind of the quality or lack thereof in some of these games and the lopsidedness and the tempo as well has sort of been a bit off for me uh, certainly these players haven't been around training for that long since the the restart of uh, German soccer and the Bundesliga and training regimens and all of that since Germany has begun uh, the process of opening up. But I think there is sort of like a preseason element to some of these games. And it'll be interesting to see in Der Klassiker. And I certainly think the Bayern Frankfurt game was, even though it was still a blowout towards the end of it, was kind of the most competitive fixture I have seen, as well as the, uh, the Wolfsburg uh, Dortmund game, which I think kind of had the most intensity uh, of any games so far in the past couple of weeks. But I think there is uh, something to be said about three substitutes that will kind of help the Bundesliga get out of this kind of like preseason friendly tempo funk that they might be in right now. Or perhaps it just will take a few more weeks for them to get truly back up to speed. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I think I haven't seen too many huge tactical changes as a result of being able to make five subs, which I think has been good and has helped prevent it feeling like a friendly where you just kind of like haul off your entire team. I think what makes the atmosphere feel so off is the fact that you can like hear all of the players so clearly and in such a way that it doesn't sound that much different than like a high school soccer game um, where there is no fan atmosphere to kind of mostly drown out what the players are saying. And well, so Mainz, Mainz employed the, uh, the like kind of piping in loud crowd audio today. And I think it kind of did the, inverse of what they expected it to do where it kind of like even made it seem like even more of a facade than not having any noise at all yeah well no right i think I, i'm not sure the answer is to just like play audio like i think of <laughs> a good example of this is 
the BMW M5 from like a few years ago because it's like a sports car, right? But it's also kind of a luxury vehicle. Um, and the sound insulation is so good that you couldn't really hear the engine noise. So what they did is that when you put it into like sport mode and we're going fast enough, it would literally play engine sounds over like the audio system in the car. <laughs> um, and everybody panned it as being like the most absurd, like artificial thing ever. So I agree that like just playing fan sounds doesn't solve the problem. But at the same time, the absence of fan sounds still is the problem, if that I makes mean, sense. We've also been treated to a couple of incidents that we wouldn't have uh, known about had there been crowd noise, like the interaction between uh, Jean-Claire Tadibo and Erling Holland from last weekend, where cameras were able to pick up uh, Todibo telling Holland to go F his grandmother. Uh, <laughs> Holland then scored well, about eight seconds later. Uh, here's so I think the thing. Had the last laugh, but is that like I kind of I kind of enjoy getting that little bit more raw emotion from both players and coaches, and kind of just seeing how the sausage is made in terms of uh, the professional game on the pitch without fans in attendance to kind of be able to hear a little bit more of of what kind of goes on behind the scenes or in front of us without like kind of raucous fan noise. But then I uh, I listen closely and um, I realize that I don't speak German. So (laughs) (laughs) that realization kind of goes flying out the window, but it has been nice to kind of get that intensity back, at least from listening to the loud German noises on the, on the field. Occasionally I can, I can parse out some English, but it has been good to at least know that the intensity, even though it might be a little bit rusty is still there, but I think it's kind of interesting, Nathan. Um, We've Caleb less. So I think, not at all, actually. I could be safe to say. Uh, we've kind of been accustomed to watching professional wrestling without an audience. And that definitely helped me um, get into the groove with watching the Bundesliga a little bit more because I was more in tune with already watching a semi-sporting product without a crowd. Yeah, and it definitely takes getting used to. Uh, maybe even more so growing up as like a Boston sports fan as well where pretty much every sporting event that I've ever been to had a completely packed house. Like, I think if I were a Miami Marlins fan, it would be different where you sort of have gone to a ballpark that's not completely full. Or like a, a Florida Panthers fan, not to just hate on the state of Florida indiscriminately, but like those are the first two examples that come to mind. The soccer world, especially is especially at the top flight level, we're used to seeing completely packed stadia. So... It was certainly jarring. What did you guys make of the uh, of Borussia Mönchengladbach's uh, first home game that saw the debut of their uh, their cardboard cutout fans? I think it's just a little creepy, honestly. I, I don't like it at all. Um, because then, <laughs> because okay, I think that what makes professional sports like feel so meaningful or important is the whole like human interaction between what's happening on the field and like the fans and sort of the intellect or the interaction between the two creates something um i think adding the artificial fans like just their images makes it feel like a video game and feel like less real um and so i think it's better just to have nobody than to have these sort of strange pictures, static images of people 
Right. I, yeah, I think you can't have it both ways, like Caleb was saying. Um, I think you just kind of have to accept the fact that there aren't going to be any fans in the arena. You can't really cope with that. Uh, like I was already discussing with the Mainz, uh crowd noise, which I think kind of had the, the opposite effect as to what they were intending. And I think this also kind of has the opposite effect as to what Mönchengladbach was intending. I know um, you had to pay 20 euros in order to get a cardboard cutout uh, of yourself in the uh, Mönchengladbach arena. But I also think it's just kind of like a creepy, it was, it was a creepy off-putting thing to, uh, to look at as a purely a television spectator. So I can't imagine kind of the discomfort uh, playing on the pitch uh, and having all these like cardboard cutout German people watch you kick a ball around uh, while you're trying to get back to work. But it is certainly better than uh, looking out uh, into the crowd and expecting to see no one but looking back at you is the uh, vacant, voidless uh, expression of a sex doll, Nathan Strauss. Yeah, so... Not only a sex doll, a Korean sex doll. Not the uh, headline that I expected to read ever, uh, but South Korean team FC Seoul, who play in the K-League, were handed a 100 million Korean won fine, which is equivalent to around 80,000 US dollars after placing sex dolls in its stands uh, as sort of their response to the uh, the playing in front of empty crowd uh, situation. Pretty surprising things. And like, it seems to me to be just like pretty blatantly inappropriate. Like it's one thing to, you know, <laughs> place cardboard cutouts of fans that have like consented uh, to having their image shown, but like placing these like sex dolls six feet apart in the stands is just weird. And like totally- <laughs> the sex dolls followed social distancing protocol. Yeah. It's like, it's just completely ridiculous. Like, I don't know. Here, here's, here's what I'll say about this situation. Um, Hold on, Caleb. Only- before you, I'll let you, I'll let you speak. But first of all, I have so many questions about this Caleb Rhodes. First of all, who came up with this idea? Second of all, how did they go about getting this many sex dolls into the arena did they have someone did they designate someone to go out to a sex doll retail store and buy a bunch of sex dolls what was that interaction like i want to know that or did they have someone at the club some pr person or media management person at fc soul who they were like hey uh it's your job to go on sexdolls.net and like purchase a bunch of a stadium's worth of sex dolls. I have I have so that many questions. Intern, man. I have so many questions about like the process of getting the sex doll audience into position and the acquisition of all of these sex dolls. And there are so many There's so many stages of development that had to go into this plan to make it happen. And I want to know all of it. So if you or anyone you know uh, know anyone at FC Soul, please send them our way. Uh, you can find us at Corner Kick Media on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're at official Corner Kick at Gmail if you want to drop us an anonymous line. Um, but please, like if you were any involved in a Korean soccer, at any level, please uh, drop drop us a line. I want to know the process. I want the ESPN thirty for thirty on how 
we got the sex doll. We came to the we went from the empty arena era of soccer to the sex doll arena of soccer. So, uh, with that being said, Caleb Rhodes, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but take it away. I just wanted to get that uh, off my chest before we proceeded here. Wait, Nathan, what were you gonna say? You can Nick, ahead. Nick, I'm not accusing you of anything here, but you mentioned sexdolls.net, and I happen to be curious, so I typed in sexdolls.net. <laughs> And what comes up is exactly what you would expect. So it seems to me that Nick might actually either have experience in this department or have just hit the nail on the head. So FC Soul, your secret's up, bud. We know exactly where you source those dolls from. Dude, I'm just going to say, it just seems like this also isn't remotely the most economical approach to solving this problem. Right, like, like it seems like... Like of all like the things you could use, this seems like it would probably be like way more both like effort intensive and cost intensive to put together. So it's like absurd on so many levels. But I, I'm actually curious, like, like what what was like the rule that they actually broke that led to the fine? You know what I mean? No, right? Yeah. Is it just like it was just kind of inappropriate to? have a bunch of sex dolls like i i can't imagine that like the promotion of the purchasing of sex dolls is something that like the korean sports association or football association wants to be known for um they said so the official rule they the k-league officials said that it quote deeply humiliated women fans it also uh the the, oh yeah absolutely the dolls themselves were also holding advertisements for a uh a sex doll like maker. Oh, there it is. Oh, so, okay. So that's how it happened. They got donated, dude. Like a hundred percent, it was an advertising thing. Oh, see, that's even worse. No, that makes it even worse. That makes it so much worse. <laughs> um, that yeah. really takes all the fun out of the out of the origin of the se- of sex doll gate, as I'm going to call it now. Yeah. No. This. This is just. This is just bad. I, I go go with the cardboard cutouts. I think if you're gonna go for the the fake fans, <laughs> Phil Mickelson just put his first shot into the woods. <laughs> 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 not to not to distract. I'm just stunned. He like it was so bad. <laughs> okay, well I think I think that fully wraps up this discussion. Nick, where where are we going to next? As we move on from uh the premise the the promiscuity of uh, the Korean uh, Soccer League and the uh, the return of the Bundesliga, I want to kind of get back onto uh, the quality on the pitch and talk about, like, which teams and players have impressed you since the return of, uh, of the Bundesliga, Caleb Rhodes. Which teams? Which teams or individuals? Mm. I mean, I'll go for a team with an individual on that team in Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and particularly... Kai Havertz, who has been transformed into a striker outside of his normal center attacking midfield role and has four goals in his first two games back. He also has something like 11 goals and seven assists in like 15 or 16 games since 2020 began. So he has just been on a roll for Leverkusen this year. Um, And Leverkusen also got a big win against Mönchengladbach this weekend, um, which means that they are, you know, tightening the race um, on Leipzig for third, which is big. 
Yeah, Kai Havertz, I watched that game as well. Uh, and Havertz just looks to be, he looks to have that instinct that like truly great players have of knowing where the ball is going to be. Like on both of his headers, which he scored about four minutes apart, uh, he was able to put himself ahead of his defender. Uh, and it's it was interesting because he was playing as a striker when I know that he's more of a, a natural cam. Uh, but it certainly seems like uh, he's in fine form right now. I also didn't realize just how tall he was, but he's really a massive presence. Uh, and he has certainly impressed me a lot as well. Nathan, who has impressed you so far since the return? Since the return, I mean, Leipzig did not play their best game in their first game back. Uh, it, it ended up in a 1-1 draw. But today, Leipzig absolutely obliterated Minds away from home 5-0 meaning in their two games this year uh the final score line the aggregate score line would have been 13-0 for the uh Rosenballsport club the player who's impressed me the most though Timo Werner I mean we we've, we've known we've talked about the interest that Liverpool have in purchasing him but today I thought that really all of his attributes were on full display he ended with a hat trick uh he scores goals uh, on the counterattack, but also uh, he's a, he can poach in and around the box. He's just so incredibly fast. He's able to outpace two defenders, um, even when he's playing as the lone striker. And when he plays in a two-striker formation as well, uh, his defensive work is on full display. So I think that he is certainly putting on a show for Klopp and any scouts out there uh, as he continues his ridiculous uh, scoring run this year in the Bundesliga. Yeah. He um, crossed the uh, 30 goal threshold for the first time in his career, which is always, you know, a big milestone from being a above average striker to being like a world-class one. Uh, yeah. And I think Nathan Strauss stole the player that has impressed me the most. Uh, for me, it's been Timo Werner as well. Not only just because I think he's immensely talented at such a young age. He's only 23, right, Nathan? Yeah. 24. 24. 24. So he's not even yet in the prime of his career, and we're talking a lot about him and the fact that he's he's now scoring 30 goals a season, um, but also the fact that he has been heavily linked and uh, by some really reputable sources to Liverpool Football Club uh, over the summer transfer window, whatever that may look like. Um, but I certainly think he's someone that would, um, like I was saying to Nathan earlier uh, off, off the pod, I think he is... Uh, a player that Liverpool don't have in the form of that traditional poacher kind of striker, someone who can also make chances and make shots for himself. Um, but he's also a very traditional number nine that Liverpool don't have. And he is the type of player, perhaps like the only available player on the market right now that would significantly improve an already sturdy and consistent Liverpool side. So I think selfishly, uh, Timo Werner is the player that has impressed me the most. But other than that, I think uh, Borussia Dortmund's wingbacks in their 3-4-3 and uh, Rafael Guerrero and uh, Akraf Hakimi uh, have really, really impressed me uh, since the restart of the Bundesliga. These two that I think perhaps, uh, especially Guerrero, um, at left back, he's kind of been found out as a defender. But uh, being kind of liberated in that left wingback role being able to make these commanding runs up and down the pitch, box to box, uh, and even contribute on the goal scoring end because he's been so difficult to mark out of a game. Uh, Hakimi the same. 
they both kind of had bright individual performances in these first two weeks. And I think they're both um, immensely, immensely talented and are unique players in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think Alfonso Davies is going to have a really tough time in their Klassiker against Sancho and Hakimi on the same wing. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they put Alaba at left back for that game. Yeah, and I think, I mean, why don't we go ahead and give our predictions for the Klassiker? It is, it's in two days, and Dortmund really, really need this win. They're four points behind Bayern uh, with just nine games left to play on the season. So a win for Bayern would put them, you know, more than two wins ahead of Dortmund in the standings. Both teams have come out hot uh, over the last two weeks, but I think it's hard to see Bayern losing this game, unless you guys disagree. I don't disagree. I think Bayern, I think this is going to be the most competitive game uh, since the restart of the Bundesliga for sure. Just the fact that these two have the most quality in the division all around. But I do think Bayern are just that more organized. Uh, we certainly saw them kind of lose focus uh, in the Frankfurt game, but I don't think focus is going to be an issue coming into a game as important as uh, Der Klassiker. And Bayern certainly are experienced in sewing up league titles, even though their side might be a bit younger than in previous years. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund just always feels so fragile in big games. Um, and a lot of their matches against, you know, other top teams in the league this year have resulted in really big score lines, like their 4-3 loss um, to Leverkusen, their 3-3 draw with Leipzig, or their 4-0 loss in the reverse fixture of Der Klassiker. Um, at, at a time when Bayern were still trying to, like, find their feet a little bit. So I think that Bayern are going to run away with it again. Because I, I think that whenever Dortmund like feel like they have to search for something, they always get found out defensively. And I think that knowing that they desperately need a win and Bayern knowing that they can play probably a little more calm and assuredly is going to tip the balance in their favor. I think that uh, one of the interesting things that I've that we found out with Bayern is just how deep their squad is now that everyone is back from their injuries. Between the resurgence of Davies as a left back, as well as, you know, getting players like Mikel Cuisance back from injury, uh, being able to rehabilitate sort of their older defenders, they now just have this flexibility that means they're able to game plan differently for different opponents in a way that they weren't able to before. So whether that means they're play they're able to play Alba as a left back and and go for a slightly more defensive oriented defense against tougher teams or play someone like Davies who has the ability to act really as a second winger almost against lesser opponents. And then their ability to rotate now with players like Pavard and Hernandez being able to play as outside backs or center backs. This team could be uh, a team that's threatening now for years to come. Sam Ty said that they were the team that was on the hottest run of form going into the COVID enforced break. They've certainly continued that hot run afterwards. Right, yeah. and I think we already... Oh, yeah, sorry, Caleb. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like, they've scored something like 50 league goals in, like, the 16 games. Yeah, since I was, that was flick. my point. Yeah, it's it's actually insane. And I, I feel comfortable saying that Davies' ability to be proficient at left-back has probably saved their season because there was a point where they were looking very, very dire defensively, um, especially with Sula getting injured and Hernandez out for a while. Um 
And so I think the combination of Davies proving that he can be proficient at left back and then Jerome Boateng kind of being adequate, although certainly not at his sort of 2015, 2016 best, um, has really enabled the team to thrive um, when it looked like they might be, you know, a little light on defensive cover. Right. And I think talking about Hansi Flick for a sec is really important because I think under Kovac, you could kind of see that Bayern weren't really enjoying their game a lot. There was a lot of stress and pressure and weight that went into their performances and that was kind of dragging them down. But I think Hansi Flick has really instilled an enjoyment back into the game of this like Bayern who are kind of known for being like a very robotic club full of serial winners and very intense atmosphere at times. And I think Hansi Flick is in a great job of incorporating the youth like Alfonso Davies or like Kingsley Coman, bringing uh, those two guys back into the fold of things, uh, incorporating players like Cuisance uh, back into regular training and into match day squads. And he's kind of, he's helped Bayern and players like Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski and David Alaba, especially with his repositioning. Um, he's kind of, I think he's kind of instilled an enjoyment and a fluidity and a freedom back into what was a very robotic and stoic squad, which I think has helped them come a long way uh, since the departure of Kovac in the fall. Yeah, and figuring out how to get the best of a player like Thomas Muller is always a challenge. He sort of thrives under some coaches, but it seems to me like he's really been reinvigorated lately. A goal and assist against Frankfurt. Um, he's up to 17 assists now on the Bundesliga season, along with seven goals. Um, being played both out wide and as second striker. So, Bayern play a 4-3-3, right? They have been playing a 4-3-3. Um, yeah, and so I think that's another thing that's really important too is that we saw PSG and their 4-3-3 really be able to exploit the space that uh, Dortmund gave up in their 3-4-3. Uh, and we know that kind of under pressure, Dortmund do tend to concede a lot of goals. So I think at least formation-wise, uh, Bayern will be looking to that PSG game to see how uh, Neymar, Icardi, and Mbappe uh, picked apart that Bayern or that Borussia Dortmund backline. Well, and Dortmund are still missing Witzel in midfield, like so. Their midfield too isn't you know at full strength at all. Like Daoud is not a replacement, um, and Chan is still injured as well, right? So they're missing a lot of their depth in center midfield. Chan is back now. Chan played, yeah. Okay. So Chan is back, but still, like Witzel is probably, I feel comfortable saying, their best center midfielder. And even he is worse than Bayern's first choice center midfielders. Uh, that be Tiago, that be Kimmich, that be Goretzka. I think he's probably better than Tolisso. But my point is, B- Bayern have a lot more quality in the center, and they can dominate in this game. All right, boys. So that is it for the return of the Bundesliga. But shall we shall we turn our attention towards some more potential returns that, excuse me, shall we turn our attention towards uh, more potential returns that we could be seeing uh, come next month, uh, early and late next month. So Caleb Broad, do we want to talk about the uh, potential June eight or June eighth date for the return of La Liga? Yeah, I mean, I think the Bundesliga has set an example that you can reopen. I think Spain has also started to see a lot of their cases go down. Um, And, you know, the teams are back in training. And so La Liga says that they can go back on June 8th. And I think, I think it'll work. I think we'll see some La Liga action again, which is very, very good because it's another tight league. Yeah. I mean, 
I think now having seen that the Bundesliga has been relatively successful in their two weeks back, um, other leagues are going to be incentivized to do the same. The Premier League, uh, probably chief amongst them, as well as La Liga. And it's the access to tests that uh, has been crucial. We, we talked about how Dynamo Dresden were forced to quarantine, and they're now going to be faced with the daunting task of playing seven games in 18 days. So it'll be curious to see how different federations deal with those situations when they arise. And of course, there have been controversies coming out of each nation. Even today, uh, Ever Banega and other Sevilla teammates were seen at a party with uh, their wives and girlfriends. So no place is safe from controversy, but getting leagues back up and running is a good thing if it can be done safely. Right, but even in the Bundesliga, there was that controversy about the Augsburg coach who uh, kind of broke social distancing protocol. So I think, like Nathan was saying, there is going to be controversy and people who aren't following the exact protocol everywhere you go. And I think you kind of have to take those risks um, if you are going to restart, uh, potentially. So we will see. Uh, we wait with bated breath about the return of La Liga. Uh, Nathan Strauss, your own Danny Ceballos, uh, Arsenal midfielder, has a, has put a date of uh, June 20th on the board for the return of the Premier League. How true and how realistic do you think that date is and about the complications in the Premier League returning? I think that date makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's kind of funny that he would just like leak that date on a phone interview, um, which makes me think that... <laughs> Which makes me think that there was probably a decent amount of truth in it. Like, I don't think he has anything to gain by just, like, coming out and saying it randomly. Uh, keeping in mind that uh, England has been loosening restrictions uh, over the past few weeks uh, and, and teams are getting pretty antsy to play, uh, I think that there is a good likelihood that it gets underway in late June, giving squads about three weeks or so to start training uh, to get into match fitness. Of course, there are going to be some notable holdouts, including players like Troy Deeney, who uh, have been pretty vocal about not wanting to return to play right now. Deeney has a a young child with a respiratory condition. And I think that we can all agree that it's every player's right not to return to play right now. Uh, even if the league itself is resuming, I don't think any fan should, any true fan should hold it against a player, whether it be Troy Deeney, a youth player, or an even more established star if they don't want to come back right now. Yeah, I mean, like, another example is Conte at Chelsea. Um, I don't know if he has a particular situation that makes him want to sit out, but he has said and told Lampard that he doesn't want to train or participate, and Lampard has very publicly supported him in that. Um, I, I think, you know, the big difference between Spain and La Liga versus England, the Premier League starting is, you know, while Spain is down to like 400 new cases a day, which is similar to their March 8th numbers, England is, or the United Kingdom is still seeing like 3,000 new cases to a day, which is closer to like late March, early April numbers. So England has not done as good a job kind of getting over the crisis yet. Right. And I think we still have the uncertainty about uh, certain clubs in the Premier League, mid-table clubs and lower, 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 well, yeah, I'm going to try it again. And we certainly have the uncertainty and debate about certain clubs like Brighton, like Aston Villa, like Watford, who have come out and saying that they don't really support the continuation uh, of the Premier League for various reasons. Uh, one of those being the uh, the neutral venue uh, proposition, which I think is going to be overcome. And we're going to see, if anything, uh, play in the Premier League start in every single stadium uh, across England. Um, but we will certainly give you an update uh, once there is 
a little bit more substantial news to update the Corner Kick fam about. Let's move on from Europe for a second and talk a little bit about our uh, domestic soccer on American shores uh, while we have the time to do that. Uh, Nathan Strauss, the MLS could potentially be moving, uh, picking up shop and moving to Orlando tentatively. Yeah, so just like with other uh, American sports leagues looking to get back underway, the MLS is uh, considering hosting a modified season tournament and round-robin style in Orlando and utilizing the ESPN slash Disney Wide World of Sports complexes and hotels to form um, a bubble. And that's something that's been been floated for other leagues as well. Uh, Major League Baseball is looking at Arizona um, for a potential uh, site to resume their season. But one of the things that I think is different about uh, resuming MLS play when it comes to contextualizing with the global game of soccer is that rather than having individual franchises that vote uh, to continue the season or not to continue the season, the negotiations instead come from the players union and the league itself because all the franchises are owned by the league. I think that given the fact that the league pays salaries um, and not clubs means that the MLS is going to feel a particular extra pressure to get things back underway because rather than have individual clubs with their own line of credit that are responsible for contracts, instead the league is largely responsible for the finances of these teams. So whether the MLS is able to resume or not is uh, probably contingent on what other American leagues do in the meantime, but Certainly Florida as the location would make sense to me. Right. And I think you also have to think about from a player perspective, there is a disparity in MLS between the average MLS American domestic player and also the designated players who are kind of foreign stars like Chicharito, like a Carlos Vela, like a Nani, like a Zlatan Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was playing in MLS. Um, so I think we're starting to see a little bit of a division being sowed between kind of the standard MLS player and the designated player as well. You have players like Carlos Vela uh, coming out this week and saying that he has a pregnant wife and he is in a kind of financially secure position to wait out the rest of the year and not go back and play with LAFC. But I can al- also understand that these, a lot of these MLS players don't have millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, and they're going to want to see the MLS be brought back as quickly as possible. And uh, the situation would be that they would go and play these games at the wide world of sports and quarantine for a week. However, the MLS Players Association also has an issue with the fact that the MLS won't be providing tests for workers at that hotel that they'd be staying at. So there is kind of that uncertainty about going and quarantining in a place where they're not even sure if they're going to be safe or not. So I think there are roadblocks in terms of both from a player perspective and a safety perspective and the MLS coming back very quickly, Caleb Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a bad take. Um, But I mean, I just don't really care about MLS at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, but by, by which I mean, like, there are other leagues... And and I think that, you know, like amongst American sports leagues, the MLS is like so far down on people's list of leagues. Right, that's part of the problem. MLS MLS was experiencing kind of like a record low recently in viewership. 
Like they were drawing in close to 250,000 uh, viewers per game, which is really, really shocking considering that NBC does up to like 750,000 to a million viewers per Liga uh, Emekis games. So the fact that there is that much disparity in viewership from MLS to Liga Emekis is a real issue, not even considering the fact that like the Premier League now is such a fixture of a sporting culture in the U.S. And and you mentioned Liga MX. Uh, the Liga MX canceled their Clausura season this week as well. Um, if you're looking for like a comparison, so it's entirely possible that the MLS might, as a unintended benefit, be looking to capitalize at this. Uh, oh yeah, they absolutely are. The rumor is that they want to kind of sneak in and get into that like weekend uh, morning, kind of Saturday morning, Sunday morning into the early afternoon spot that the Premier League has occupied for the past couple of years and kind of pull that viewership, uh, the Premier League viewership, into watching MLS, which I think is kind of why they want to get this done uh, as speedily as possible. But it'll be seen if the players, the MLS Players Association, agrees to that. Absolutely. Well, to any extent, it'll be interesting and weird, uh, certainly, to be seeing Premier League and La Liga and Bundesliga action extending into June and July and maybe even onward. But we will certainly be here to provide you with uh, coverage and reaction for all of that. And you can also expect to see at some point this week a, a another video episode where we simulate our La Liga draft on Football Manager. Something to be prepared for on the horizon. Right, I'm definitely excited about that. Uh, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm still feeling good about my team coming into this. Obviously, I have the great and powerful Lionel Messi, but uh, we shall see. Dude, I think I'm going to wipe the floor. I'm not even yeah, kidding. Yeah, I think I'm going to finish in last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so be excited about that. I think that has certainly uh, sparked a competitive fire here at Corner Kick, uh, if our draft, uh, our draft video alone is any indication. But yeah, stay tuned for our draft simulation on Football Manager. Uh, that'll be up on our Facebook um, and potentially YouTube. I'm working on that in the uh, the next coming days. Uh, but that has been Corner Kick. That has been our show. Thank you for being the Corner Kick fam. And uh, we will be back with you as soon as we can. But that has been Corner Kick. That has been our show. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. <laughs> Wine, 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 wine,